realized when I sat down, there was one more passage that had to do with light, and it's a great tie-in to what we're going to be talking about next. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts, chapter 26, and if you have a red-letter Bible, you find these red letters all the way at the end of the book of Acts. And to me, this is this is pretty special. Paul, the apostle, is telling about his conversion experience. And because Jesus spoke to him on the Damascus Road, these words in my Bible are in red. And Paul says in Acts 26, verse 16, that Jesus said to him, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Then he says this, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. We have been loved. We have joined God's family. And now God wants us to go and make that family different. Everyone you will meet fits in two different categories. They're either a brother or a sister that need encouragement along the way. Or they are someone that God wants to join the family. And maybe he wants to use you to bring them in. We talked yesterday about how God wants to use even our mistakes. How our past is behind us. I believe very strongly that we need to repent of our past sins. But look at Saul. He was so bad, God even changed his name. And he became Paul. But if God can use Saul, God can use anybody. I mean, if, if you want an example of going the wrong direction and turning around, doing a 180 and going in the other direction, here's an example for you. If the devil's been telling you, no, you've messed up too much, God can never use you. Those are maybe the exact things he wants to use for his honor and his glory. You see, if you would have told me at grade, when I was six or seven years old that God will never use you because you failed grade one, I would have believed it. I would have bought in, hook, line, and sinker. But God wanted to use that. He gave me that difficult experience to give hope to others. I'm going to invite you to stand. Rally and cry here, saying, I am love. I am Paul. We need each other. He has overcome. We are more than conquerors.
Now we're going to talk about us. We talked about me. We talked about you. We talked about him, the light. We talked about absorbing that light. And now we've got a job to do. Doing his will. I'm going to tell you a little story of how I would explain it to Guatemalan people. And it's a very modern Central American parable. And I hope that it blesses you. But people would come to me sometimes and they would say, okay, so how, how am I supposed to be a Christian? I mean, you've got the Mennonite church here. You've got the Assembly of God church there. You've got the Hermanos del Rey over there. Like, like which is the right church? And why don't you all get along? And I say, you know, you have a really great question. And we don't get along, do we? And it's a shame. Because I said, think about a dad who has five sons. And he goes to the town, the big town, to do some errands, like banking and um, maybe buying those things that they don't sell in the village. So the people would understand that very clearly. The dad leaves for the afternoon. And every afternoon in the jungle, a certain time of year, it rains every afternoon at about 2 o'clock. And by 6 o'clock, it's, uh, or 5 o'clock, the sun is shining again, and it, the air is so clear and the sun is so bright, it actually kind of stings your skin. The sunshine is so bright. So this is just part of their life, and they get it. But I say the dad goes off to town, and he says to the boys, bring in the wood before it rains. And when he comes home, he finds the boys are fighting in the front yard, and the wood is still out in the lawn, and it's still wet. And it's wet because it's rained on the, on the firewood. Now, this is a big deal because that's how they cook their food. That's how they're going to heat up supper. I said, would the dad be pleased? And everybody said, no. He would. There's some boys that are about to get punished. And I said, that's us as Christians. You see, what happened is the one boy went to the pile of wood. He started bringing in wood, and he would carry in three sticks at a time. And the other boy said, you dummy, that's not how you bring in wood. Here. And he brought the wheelbarrow. And then the third boy started fighting over the wheelbarrow because he wanted to bring wood in the wheelbarrow. They only have one wheelbarrow. That makes sense, right, in Central America? And then the little boy, he picked up two sticks, and he was making several trips with two sticks, one in each hand, because he was little, over to the pile. And the older boy said, come on, you wimp, you can only carry two sticks, and they made fun of him, and they ended up fighting. But I think that's sometimes a picture of our Christian churches and our lives, because we look over at the other brother and we say, that's not how you bring in the wood. But at the end of the day, the father wants us to bring in the wood before it rains. And so that's what this talk is about, bringing in the wood, bringing in, doing his will, bringing more people into the family. One thing we must do is we must follow truth. And in our world today, this is something that I believe is very, very important, is following truth. I'd invite you to Philippians 2, 14 to 16. If you don't want to turn there or take the time, that's fine. I will read it for you as well. But it is Philippians 2, 14 to 16. 
It says, do all things without murmurings and disputings of all things. Why does he have to write that? Because that's what we tend to do. We complain and we dispute. We argue. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. You'd think he was talking about 2023, don't you? Among whom ye shine as what? Say it. Lights. Oh, that's right. I'm reading it for you. You're not following along. My mistake. Among whom ye shine as? Lights in the world. And the point of all of this reading is right now, verse 16, holding forth the word of life. Holding forth the word of life. I believe the word of God has the answers for our problems today. And we need to hold forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. And you know what? I had it right there. There it is. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. We need to submit to each other. And that's a hard thing to do because we have our own opinions and it seems to make so much more sense than the other person's opinion, but usually only to us. So we need to submit to each other. And, and I realize that's easier said than done. Once again, I would encourage you young people, start at home, start at home. I can tell you a quick little personal story about that. I came home from Bible school when I was 20 years old, and I told my dad that, you know, I'm ready to date. I'd like to date a girl. He said, oh, you're, you're way too young to date. How old are you anyway? And I said, well, I'm 20. Oh, oh, yeah, that is too young to date. I said, well, how old were you when you started to date? He said, well, I was 17, but it was different back then. He said, you know, we really need to pray about this. I said, oh, I've been praying. I've been praying for months, and I, I know I have a name. It's Brenda. Oh, well, he said, you know, she's a lovely girl, but no, we need to pray about this. He said, you wait until, this was probably February. He said, you should wait at least till May to ask her. We need to pray about this. Some of you know my dad, and you, you know me a little bit, my personality. If I would have really, really pushed him for why I need to wait till May, if I would have really pushed hard, I think, I, I know, he would have caved. And he would have said, all right, then, just go ahead and ask her. I mean, I, I don't think he had any reason why I needed to wait for three months. It was a new idea to him, I guess. I, I don't know, but 
I think I could have probably pushed through and gotten my way on that one. Because there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to wait three months. But there is something in the Bible that says honor your father and mother, unfortunately. (laughs) So I waited. I found out years later that had I called Brenda in February, she would have said no. But I waited till May, and she said yes. So there you go, young people. Sometimes your parents won't even have a reason why. But just submit to them. They love you more than probably anybody else. And they know you better than you know yourself. And just take it from me. It's, it's true. We have many talents, and I would point you back to number one up there. We need each other. We have many talents, but nobody has them all. We need each other. We needed help. You know, I'll tell one time, and the mission board sent us this old man. He was probably almost my age now. I don't know. He was older than that. I think he was probably 55. And his name was Roy, of all things. I mean, what good can come out of Nazareth, and what help can Roy be? (laughs) And he was old. He was old. And I thought, what are we going to do with Roy? Well, guess what? It was exactly what we needed. Roy got fulfillment out of fixing things, like broken blenders. And in the jungle... That's as good as gold. Roy was a bean counter. Roy loved to balance the books. I do not balance books. If we can get within $20, it's been a good month. But Roy loved to account for every penny. Roy went into the shop, that tool shop I talked about over at the mission house, And he put everything in order. And then he made sure you put it back where you got it. You had to talk to Roy before you took a tool out of there. Roy did a lot. Roy was just what we needed. But Roy was so different than I was. But I needed Roy. Roy was there for me in a very, very difficult time in my life. And he gave me hope. And he gave me strength. We need each other. We have many talents, but none of us have them all. Another thing I would like to say is that we receive the same reward. Whether we're back there in the kitchen, whether we're handing out bulletins, whether we're ushering, or whether we're at the front speaking. And there is no point in being jealous of somebody else's gifts. Just do what you can do. I'm going to take it one step further, and I'm going to say, do what you enjoy. Remember that part about God designing us, fashioning us from from our mother's womb to do what he would have us to do? I don't believe that God is so unkind that he would wire us in a certain way and give us satisfaction by doing certain things and then ask us to do something totally different. He actually wants us to find fulfillment in what he's calling us to. And I think a lot of times we shy away from writing that blank check 
because we're afraid God is going to ask us to do something that we don't want to do. And life is too long to spend it doing God's work that you don't like. But let me tell you something, young people. You may prove me wrong. And if, if you do, let me know. But God will tend to call you to things that you can fill. And that you actually find fulfillment and joy in doing. And if he asks you a task, asks of you a task that isn't your first love, refer back to that point about him being able to transform and renew. I don't think God will stick you in a place that you absolutely hate and expect you to live there for 30 years. You may face some hard things in doing God's will, and you will face some hard things. But God designed us to fill a purpose. He called us, and he wants to use our strengths. And he'll use our weaknesses, too, because he can. He's God. I would invite you to go with me down a little bunny trail. And this is part of a talk that I do at Reach, but I felt like sharing it. I felt like I should share it with you this morning. I'd like you to consider for a moment what, what you have. What can you bring to the table, to the kingdom of God, and to doing his will? We heard about Moses in the introduction. God called Moses, and he asked him what he had in his hand. Remember when he saw the burning bush, and, and that was not unusual, but what was unusual was that the, bur the bush wasn't burning up. It just kept burning, and so he walked over there. God talked to him. He took off his sandals. God said, you know, you're on holy ground. And he, then he said, what's in your hand? And he said, well, a rod. And God said, that's great. I can use that. Let's go. I'm calling you to free your people. We're going to use that rod. And God used that rod in so many ways. That rod was there to, spar uh, to, to part the Red Sea. That rod became a snake in Pharaoh's court. That rod did a lot of things, hit the rock and produced water for thirsty people. And there are about a million of them. That's a lot of water. But Moses had in his hand a rod, and God used it. I'd invite you to Matthew 25. This is one of my favorite passages, the parable of the talents. And I would ask you this morning, what's in your hand? What do you have to bring? Matthew 25, we're going to break in at about verse 14. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. When I read my Bible and the, uh, the letters are read, I, I always get a thrill, because that's Jesus talking. And when I read things in my Bible in red that say, now the kingdom of heaven is like, I get a special thrill, because this is Jesus talking. He's been in heaven, and he's trying to explain to us earthlings what heaven is like. And then he tells us a story. It's sort of like when I, I say, you know, now in Guatemala, it's sort of like this. If you haven't been there, it kind of helps you to understand. And Jesus tells us this story so that we can understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. He said, it's like a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. 
Matthew 25, 15. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Every, to every man according to his several ability. And straightway he took his journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them, sorry, traded with the same and came, un, came, sorry, and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. And the one with two brought another two. He had gained uh, two more talents beside them. Verse 23, his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things, entering to the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee, that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and I went, and I hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. And his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sow not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given and he shall have abundance. But him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I would ask you, what is in your hand? What do you have to bring? In those verses I read, I would see five principles of talents. First of all, effort is needed to develop our talents. Sometimes I think effort is the best indicator of interest. How interested are you kind of shows or determines how much effort you're going to put in to something. Those verses show us that we are given what we need. We are given everything that we need. And we can count on that. We are given talents according to our ability. I wouldn't be able to say that, but the Word of God says that. We are given talents according to our ability. We are not given the same or equal amount of talents. But remember, we do get the same reward. It doesn't matter if we're speaking at the front or if we can sing like those who we heard from this morning, or if we can't. But if we do what we can do, that's what God wants us to do. Remember, He made us. And finally, we will be held accountable. 
for how we use what we've been given. Now I'm going to ask you a very personal question, and I'd like you to try to answer it. This is a question that most Mennonites aren't comfortable with. Are you a one, a two, or a five-talent person? Well, see, we don't generally go here because if we would say we're a five-talent person, we'd be prideful. I'm going to make a statement here that all of you are five-talent people. We have a room full of five-talent people this morning. And now I want to prove it to you. Education and training. With your education at your little Christian school, you have a far superior understanding of general knowledge than most people in the world. And I could tell you stories. We have been given a heritage of truth, what I call a heritage of truth or a, a general Bible knowledge. Young person, young man, you know more about the Bible than a lot of pastors that are preaching every night. And again, I could tell you stories. You've heard the Bible stories since before you can remember. You went to Sunday school where you studied the Bible from a young age. You probably went to summer Bible school and some of you had family devotions at home. You know the truth. And you've been given it for free. And you don't even realize that you have an incredibly precious gift inside you. You don't even need the book. You have it inside you. And you've been given an education where you can continue to study that book and understand it better. We have financial resources and a network as a Mennonite people that is staggering. When I was finally allowed to start dating, we dated for three years and then we got married. And when we were going to get married, I remember walking across the street to our neighbors who were not Mennonite. They weren't even Christians yet. And giving them an, an invitation to our wedding. And she asked me, the neighbor lady wondered if it was going to be a big wedding. And I said, well, no, not really. About 250 people. Her jaw dropped. She said, I don't know a hundred people. But you do. And then we have these little <laughs> books of our fellowship with all the names and addresses. I could probably find out what your birthday is. But we have a network. We have financial resources. I gave this talk probably seven years ago for the first time, and I said, you know, if, if we as a Mennonite people wanted to start a mission in Manhattan, we'd have the money to do it. And then I found out a little later that they had done that. They started a coffee shop there. We do. We've got the money. We've got the financial resources. We can do just about anything. You have a citizenship. Maybe you didn't realize this, but you have a citizenship allowing you to travel almost anywhere in the world. I heard last week that I-58 is looking for volunteers to reach out to the people affected by the earthquake in Turkey. And you know what? If you wanted to go, you could. A lot of young people would love to go and can't. First of all, they don't have the money. 
their church can't send them. And they'd have to get a visa for Turkey, and their government won't give them one. One of our nurses in the clinic in Guatemala had gone to uh, nurses training with um, a North American girl. That North American girl got married in the States and wanted her Guatemalan friend to be her maid of honor. And so she went, I mean, she was educated. She, she had a nursing uh, certificate. She went to the the American embassy wanting to get an American visa, and she was denied. And so the American gal had to find somebody else to be her maid of honor. But you have a passport, or you can get one. You have a citizenship that allows you to go almost anywhere in the world. Did you realize that? You can go. Others can't. You have abilities, skills, and as a community of people, we have a work ethic. People call it the old, good old German work ethic. But we know how to work. And sometimes I wonder if we're not losing it a little bit. But your parents know how to work. And they'll teach you. I'd like to just take a minute and prove this to you. If you can run a skill saw, would you raise your hand? Sure you can. What about a chainsaw? You could cut down a tree and cut it up for firewood if you had to, okay? How many of you can drive a vehicle? How many of you can drive a tractor? How many of you know the basics of gardening? You could grow food, all right? How many of you could run a sewing machine and even, you know, sew a dress if you have to? Of course you could. I could too. I always thought it'd be fun to make my girlfriend a dress. I never did. She wouldn't have worn it. How many of you could follow plans for, let's say, a birdhouse and make that out of wood? You could follow the plans. You could cut the pieces. You could make it. Okay, good. How many of you could pour a concrete floor? Sure. So of those things I listed, a lot of my friends in Guatemala could do one or maybe two of those things I listed. Some of you had your hands up every time. We have been given so much, so much ability, so much opportunity, so much access to tools and different opportunities. What are some other talents we have as an Anabaptist people? I've asked this question, and I've got a few answers, and here's some of the feedback we got. I got. Things I never thought of before, but we have been given from early on the gift of hospitality. We can put together a meal. We can have 10 people in, and we just kind of do it backhanded. You know, there are a lot of people out there that have no idea how to do that. But we can. We've seen our mom do it. And you can, too. We know how to make small talk and put people at ease. We know how to listen. We've learned those things. And maybe you didn't even realize you have that gift. You also speak English this morning, and that will get you into some closed countries in the world. They won't take Christians, but they'll take English as a second language school teachers, and it'll get you in to universities. How much did you pay to learn English? Nothing. It's a gift. It's a talent. 
It's something you got for free. So what is that in your hand? What do you have that you could use in doing his will? In getting the wood in before the rain comes? What is that in your hand? Finally, we are more than conquerors. And for this, I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans 8, the final verses. And we're just going to do a responsive reading this morning. And this is how we're going to close. Romans 8. If you would stand, I'll read verse 28. You can read verse 29. Actually, we're going to break in at verse 31. I'll read verse 31, you read verse 32, and so on. What shall we say then to these things, if God be for us? Who can be against us? You go. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril? Or sword. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Nor height, nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Don't be seated. We're just going to move right into a song. This is a song of commitment. This is a prayer. It says amen at the end. And I'm not sure how the amen is going to go, but it kind of builds. And there are three amens, and I think we might even sing four. We'll see if we uh, crash and burn or if we actually make it work at the end. This song it was written by Gloria Gaither, words to a familiar tune, Philandia, which is commonly known as We Rest on Thee. And I just invite you to sing this morning if you can. You are making a commitment as you sing this song, and I want you to be very aware of that. Let's sing. I then shall live.